Welcome to the Live Treasure Podcast, brought to you by Treasured Ministries, where every week we coach you with steps of faith you can take today to change your tomorrow. And now, on to today's show. Hello, you beautiful, amazing women. Welcome to the Live Treasured Podcast. I am Eileen Thompson. Uh, the host and founder of Treasured Ministries. And we are rolling right along in our summer podcast series called What Does It Mean to Forgive? And the reason why I wanted to do a series on this topic is because forgiveness is often a topic that is oversimplified inside of the church, which creates more confusion over this vital, freeing, healing, uh, biblical concept. And the truth about it is, is that forgiveness is not, uh, should never be simplified because it is a complex topic. But when you consult the entire counsel of God. When you dive deep into the Word, it brings clarity to this concept. And God's Word has keys uh, inside of it that give you freedom. And when you apply the wisdom from the Word, it works. And not only does it heal you, but it hands you the keys to your freedom so that you can move on. On how many of you are tired of a past hurt holding emotional real estate inside of your head? How many of you uh, want to know what is your biblical responsibility to move forward um, from a past wrong? You know, it's so important that we gain clarity on this concept, not only for past hurts, but the truth about it is, we live inside of a broken world. And offenses and hurts and all of that, that's also going to be a part of your future. Sorry to say. Sorry to say, but we live inside of a broken world and there's broken people and we've got all kinds of triggers going on. And and you know what? God knew that. And so he gave us a remedy But I feel like that the enemy has taken the remedy and created all sorts of confusion around it. And because of that, sometimes women don't feel like they can set boundaries. They stay tied in abusive situations. And that's not what forgiveness is. And so we wanted to take this summer and really go deep in the Word right? And really look at, okay, what does the Word of God say about forgiveness? And when we find that wisdom, when we become wise, we can walk inside of freedom. And one of the points that I made last week is that, you know, forgiveness does not mean you have to throw wisdom out of the window, And we talked about Joseph and how wise he was. Well, he was very wise in the way he dealt with his brothers that wounded him. And God does not want you to throw wisdom out of the window when dealing with those who have abused you, who have offended you, who have hurt you. He wants you to walk wise. And it's not just for your benefit. When you do this, there's an accountability 
that can be held with your offender. And that's important. Why? Because it creates avenues of change, not just for you, but for that person. All right, I'm getting ahead of myself. But um, anyway, so we wanted to do this, this, uh, this podcast series this summer, and I really wanted to break it down for you. A lot of times in sermons, inside of counseling offices, whatever, people will say, well, just forgive. And then maybe they might have a prayer that you're supposed to pray. You fill in the blanks uh, of the person that offended you. You say a prayer at the end of the sermon, but you're like, it's still holding that emotional real estate inside of my head. And I want to be free and I want to move on and I want to do right by God, right? And so um, so we wanted to really dive deep into this topic and we're going to be taking it step by step. Now, if you are just joining us this week uh, for this series, um, I want to encourage you to uh, go to wherever it is you listen to podcasts, iTunes or whatever, and subscribe to our podcast. That way you'll already have um, the series uploaded so you can follow along with us. And if you've missed any, missed the first episode, you can go back um, and listen to that. Another thing that I want to encourage you to do inside of the show notes, I'm going to be giving you a weekly scripture that if you want to go deeper, you can read through that scripture um, and just, you know, uh, go deeper inside of these concepts. And that's always going to be inside of the show notes every week. And then I want to encourage you to process this with others. You know, your, um, your growth grows when you gather with others. And even if it's inviting a friend, sharing this podcast with a friend and saying, hey, let's listen to this over the summer and just, you know, talk through it, that's really a powerful thing um, that you can do. We're also uploading these teachings on the Treasured Ministries YouTube channel, and I'm putting these all inside of the Treasured Tribe. Now, inside of the Treasured Tribe, I'm also posting my teaching notes. So if you're interested in joining the Treasured Tribe. It's a great way um, not only to support the ministry that we do here at Treasured Ministries, but you also get a lot of wonderful benefits. So um, so if you're interested in those teaching notes, um, as well as meeting with me every week on Zoom, um, go ahead and join the Treasured Tribe. All right, now let's get into um, the message of uh, today. And what I want to talk to you about today is how abusers, offenders, and even the enemy of your soul can pressure a victim into premature reconciliation, preventing authentic repentance and restoration. All right? Now, here's what I mean by this. So I want to start out by a personal story in, inside of my own life. There was an individual inside of my life, um, and and literally, every time I was around this person, um, I don't know if she like wrote it down as a goal or, or if she just did it subconsciously, but every time, every single time, there would be a comment, an induendo, um, a passive-aggressive comment, something like that that was there to belittle me. She was 
uh, uh, very um, rude, very ugly. And for many years, back in my codependency days, the way that I handled that is I'm going to control her perception of me. I'm going to change it by pleasing this person. And so I did that for years and years and years until, um, as you know, if you've listened to this podcast, I talk about how I went through a traumatic experience. and It was really the beginning um, of God taking me on a journey, breaking me free from codependency. But I realized that that was not what God wanted me to do. And so I started drawing boundaries with this person. And when I began to draw boundaries with this person, um, and I wasn't playing into uh, the role anymore of pleaser, it was it was really a narcissistic, codependent situation, like textbook. Um, but when I stopped playing into this and started setting the boundaries, um, this person realized um, that she needed to change. And so she reached out to me um, and said, I'd love to get together with you. I have something that I want to share with you. And so um, so she came over to my house and she sat right at my kitchen table and she sat down and she said, I owe you an apology. I've been arrogant I've been rude. I've hurt you over and over again, and and I know that. And then she said, um, and I know I've apologized to you uh, before, but I'm hoping that this time that you will will trust me again. And 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 then she said, and will you forgive me? Well, I know that my biblical responsibility is to forgive, and um, and so I said, I will forgive you. Um, but then she began to launch uh, into a different, the, the conversation took a turn where I knew she, she wasn't really sorry uh, for, for what she said, or she may have been sorry, but it may have been more like, you know, I don't like these boundaries that you're drawing, so I'm ready to get you back into how you were, you know, as a pleaser. And, and she started out by saying, um, I, I want us to go over the way that we're going to share with others about our relationship, um, which was very weird to me. Um, but again, this person being narcissistic, completely concerned with how other people uh, were viewing her. And so um, so I that took me off guard, but I responded. I said, you know, um, I... Um, I know that God knows the truth, and you know I don't say anything to anybody about you. And however you want to tell the story, that's between you and God. So that just kind of shut that down. Um, and then, but then she came back to me and she said, "You know, um, I want you to come back to this, and I want you to come back to that." And then she said, "This because Eileen, you know what the Bible says about." reconciliation. And in that moment, even though I didn't really know what was going on, there was something inside of me that felt pressured. There was something inside of me that did not feel good about this situation. And now that I'm on the other side, now teaching here to you today, now I know exactly what was going on. This individual was not really sorry. What she wanted me to do was to fall back in line into my people-pleasing ways, right? So that things could go back to the way they were. And 
she was using the Bible and religious rhetoric to push me into premature reconciliation. Now, she even said it inside of her conversation with me. She said, I know that I've apologized before and that you've trusted me again and that I continue to treat you this way. So she was even validating all of that. But when she started using scripture and religious rhetoric, like, but the Bible says you should reconcile. That's when I got this uneasy feeling. And I now know, and I now teach um, women that listen to our podcast, whenever you get that, that's the Holy Spirit telling you to pause. But also inside of that conversation, even though I knew there was something not right, I didn't really know exactly what it is, but I know now, I know now, there is a big difference between forgiving others, which is always what we are required to do biblically and for your freedom and for your joy and for all of that, all right? So we're going to get into that. But reconciliation is different. Reconciliation is completely on the offender to acknowledge their hurt, to acknowledge the hurt that they did to you. And, and this is so important, to show actions that let you know that there's been real change because that's really what repentance is. It's like, I'm, I'm changing. And changing is not just, I'm sorry that I was caught or let me just apologize to you to get you back in, in the way. Because listen, you know, the, this cycle of uh, of abuse, right? And there's, you know, emotional abuse, there's physical abuse, and even the cycle of offense. When somebody hurts and they really are sorry for it, they will not push you to reconcile with them. They will show you actions that prove that they've changed. And the cycle of abuse happens like this. You know, you're in relationship with the offender, the abuser, the hurt happens, right? You're hurt, and maybe you start to draw boundaries. So then the offender, to get you back inside of the relationship, instead of, you know, restoring the trust by showing you that they've changed with different actions, they push you to reconcile, And once you're reconciled with that person, without that person taking responsibility for the offense, the offender is not going to change. And then you're back in relationship again. Oftentimes, there's usually, quote unquote, a honeymoon period where everything is nice, and then boom, the abuse happens again. Now, you know, women, we have to take ownership, and we have to say, you know, inside of that, we can't be, say, we're victims anymore. We have to say, you know, I can't change the way that this person is treating me, so what can I change? Well, the first thing that I want you to see is that there's a big difference between restored trust and reconciliation and forgiveness. And the reconciliation part, that's not on you. 
that's on the offender to take responsibility and, and to change their ways. But oftentimes what will happen is that abusers and offenders will pressure a victim into premature reconciliation, preventing their authentic repentance and really true restoration. Because when you feel pressured, right, into getting back into a relationship again with somebody where you're trusting them again, but you don't feel right about it, it's not really real, is it? It's not really real. And then we're just pretending. We are just pretending. And you know what? Nobody's getting healed. You, not you, not your offender. It, you're, you're not getting healed. And, and so, but it's, it's been a powerful tool. And if the person offended um, is a codependent, especially, it's a very powerful tool. See, using religious rhetoric or scripture to manipulate is a powerful tool to push premature reconciliation. And it's not just people that do this. It doesn't even have to be the person. You know what? The enemy of your soul can play mental games with you and do it with you. Um, in, in Matthew chapter uh, 4, uh, starting in the second half of the fifth verse, listen to what the enemy does Um, with the Lord Jesus. Then the devil took him to the holy city, Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple and said, if you are the son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say, he will order his angels to protect you and they will hold you up with their hands so so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. So do you see that? The enemy used scripture to try to push Jesus uh, to do something. And how many of you have been in a situation and somebody says, well, but the Bible says you shouldn't judge. The Bible says you shouldn't judge me. The Bible says that you're supposed to forgive and turn the other cheek, okay? Or maybe it's the enemy, Maybe there's something inside you, and it's the Holy Spirit, that's saying, don't trust that person. You, you got to love them, and we'll get into the difference between that too later on, but don't trust them. Draw boundaries with them. But then the enemy comes, and he throws scripture at you and says, I don't think you're being very forgiving. I don't think you're really loving that person. And doesn't the Bible say that you're supposed to love? And do you see how that can pressure premature um, reconciliation? And see, we have to remember that the enemy doesn't want you to learn or to tap into forgiveness because it's such a powerful force when you do. And we know that unforgiveness is his strategy. So he's going to get you all confused and twists the scripture just enough. In fact, inside of that passage in Matthew, he didn't even quote the scripture correctly, but it was just enough where he twisted it. And what did Jesus do? Jesus um, Jesus quoted scripture back at him. Why? Because he knew the word. 
He knew the Word, and that is our goal for this summer, so that you will be equipped with the Word, that you'll be able to be confident, and when you get hurt, and when you get wounded, that you'll be able to handle it with wisdom, God's way. Now, first, I want to say this. So why do people pressure victims into premature um, reconciliation? Well, one of the first things um, is that, you know, if they do that, then they don't have to take personal responsibility for their actions. They can continue to live in denial that they did anything uh, wrong. Oftentimes, like in my situation, where there were boundaries and all of a sudden we weren't being around these people anymore, oftentimes it's for show, right? You've messed up the pretty little picture in the friendship, in the family relationship or whatever, and they need to push you using religious rhetoric to get you back in line, right? Um, But a big reason why a lot of offenders and abusers do this that they don't even see is that deep down they know that what they've done is wrong. And they're trying to cover it up, and they're trying to relieve themselves of those feelings that they're having of shame. And so they're looking to you to get forgiveness, to relieve them of their guilt. And whether they felt that guilt because you started drawing boundaries and saying, you know what, that's, that's not okay, what they're really looking for is a release of shame. Well, the Bible tells us that only God, only God can remove the sin in, uh, in our life and the shame inside of our life, that only God can remove that, and that He offers it to everybody. It doesn't matter how uh, you know egregious the sin was, that God wants to forgive everybody, but that there is a need for the person to confess and repent. And the other part of that is that the person has to go to Jesus. In other words, you cannot relieve them of their guilt. You can't even make them change. The only way that a person can change and find freedom from their shame is through God. And so if you offer that premature reconciliation right away, then you've relieved them of their guilt. And actually, you know what happens? When that transpires, it's like they take their dirty hands and they wipe it on you. And now you're left holding it. And then on top of that, there's this pressure and a brick on you, like this is what forgiveness means, and it's not. And the whole time, I mean, remember Judas and Peter You know, Peter was sorry for the fact that he um, denied Jesus, right? Judas was sorry because he got caught. And and what did he do? He went to to the high priest, right, and tried to get that guilt and shame off of him. But the high priest 
was the wrong person. And when you're offender, even if they do, if even if I, you know, and, and in that conversation I talked about in the beginning, I believe that person was really sorry. I believe their eyes were opening up, but their way of fixing it was to push me to, you know, get back in relationship with them. And let's quickly get this over with because, you know, basically they don't want to do the work. They don't want to do the work of earning your trust back again. They don't want to have to admit to God or to anybody else that they did anything wrong. They don't want anybody to see that. And that's why it's not really love or forgiveness if you offer premature reconciliation. And again, there's a big difference between forgiveness and reconciliation. Um, And uh, let me read this scripture to you. In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 9, it says, this is an illustration pointing to the present time. And it's talking about um, the sacrifices in in the temple in the Old Testament that uh, took away sin. For the gifts and the sacrifice that the priests offer ready, ready for it, are not able to cleanse the consciousness of the people who bring them. I'm going to say that again. The gifts and the sacrifices that the priests offer are not able to cleanse the consciousness of the people who bring them. And so the offender, the abuser, he's trying to go to you to get that forgiveness, to get that cleanse of his conscience, because deep down, he knows that what he has done is wrong. You know, the Bible is so clear that sin has to be dealt with. I mean, you know, when I screw up, I got to do business with God, right? And I know that that is where I must go. And if your offender comes to you and is looking for what's called judicial forgiveness to be declared righteous, you are not God and you can't give it to them, right? Um, it goes on to say in Hebrews chapter 9, uh, starting with verse 24, for Christ did not enter into a holy place made with human hands, which is only a copy of the true one in heaven. He entered into heaven itself to appear now before God on our behalf. And he did not enter to offer himself again and again, like the high priest here on earth who enters the most holy place year after year with the blood of an animal. If that had been necessary, Christ would have had to die again and again ever since the world began. But now, once for all time, He has appeared at the end of the age to remove sin by his own death as a sacrifice once and for all, all right? So those verses tell us that even in the Old Testament, that people could not completely cleanse the consciousness. And sometimes that is what an offender is ultimately, that's what their soul is crying out for. And they want you to just give it to them. And you can't do it because you're not 
you're not Jesus, not even the high priest, right? I mean, that's what the scriptures say um, could do that. So what does do that? First John 1, 9 says, but if we confess our sins to him, now let me read that again. If we confess our sins to him, to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. Psalm 32, 5. Finally, I confessed all my sins to you and stopped trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord and you forgave me and all my guilt is gone. Now, what is the point here? The point here is that, um, like I said, there are, forgiveness is a complex topic. Um, and we're going to get into this inside of our next podcast. Um, you know, it's a complex topic. And there is a forgiveness that you can give. And there is a responsibility that you have. But relieving the guilt and shame of another person is not yours. And being responsible for the reconciliation is not yours. That's on the offender. And here's the thing. If you relieve that guilt of the person, it will not be a permanent solution. And that's why you get offended again by that person. Because there was no change. There was no um, acknowledgement to the Lord of anything that was done wrong. And for that reason, therefore, true agape love does not offer your offender what only God can provide. Now, especially if the victim is confused with her biblical responsibility, then she will be more likely to give into the pressure and offer premature, often artificial reconciliation. You know, it's like it, it is artificial and it, it's not real. And especially if you're codependent, we get our worth and value from being good and from doing right by God and doing all the right things, right? And so you can give in to that religious guilt, you know, played upon with religious rhetoric and, and scripture and offer that premature reconciliation. Another thing is that women, we are socialized to be nice. You know, we're nice Christian women. And so if we continue to draw boundaries and, you know, you you are seen as like, you know, ugly, especially if you have a history of a pleaser, that is what people are used to about you. That's what people are used to. And so they're going to be mighty offended when you don't fall right back in line, especially if the person that's demanding the apology is is uh, is narcissistic, um, and uh, or or has narcissistic um, tendencies. Um, I also think too, 
I think that there's a sense inside of Christian um, women. I don't know if men, you know, have this same deal, but I know that um, I know that this has been true of me, and I can just as I minister to other women that we see there's a sense of achievement, Christian achievement, right? If every family relationship is neat and tidy. You know, I'm a, I'm a successful Christian if every family relationship is neat and tidy. I'm a successful Christian if everybody likes me. And I'm a bad person if I don't have a close relationship with X, Y, and Z. Well, what if that person is, like, abusive to you? What if that person is consistently offensive to you? You know, you can love people from a distance. And honestly, boundaries are one of the most beautiful ways that we can love others because it promotes change. And when I was sitting there at my kitchen table, I didn't have all these pieces in place. I was still confused about forgiveness. I absolutely wanted to do right by God, but what I knew that I couldn't go back to was my Egypt, was my doormat days, was my codependency days. And, you know, I just knew that something was not right. And then God gave me awareness He gave me clarity over these concepts and see awareness of what is and what is not your biblical responsibility gives you permission to pause, to draw boundaries, and to deal with your offender with patience, with wisdom, and with love. I'm going to say that again. Awareness of what is and what is not your biblical responsibility gives you permission to pause, to draw boundaries, and to deal with your offender with patience, with wisdom, and with love. But if we're not aware of what our responsibility is, you know, like Jesus knew his responsibility. When the enemy came to him, he said, back away, dude. And here, you know, here's, he gave back scripture. Why? Because he knew the wisdom inside of of the word. And when we know, and that's why sometimes it just feels like you just feel pushed and it feels premature and there's something that's not sitting right in your soul. That's the Holy Spirit giving you, I think, that warning where you can step back and get um, wisdom. Now, we talked about Joseph um, last week. And one of the things, and I'm, I'm going to put this scripture inside of the show notes so you can read it. But um you know, last week you read about inside of the scriptures, if, if you read the scriptures, you read about how Joseph was, I mean, you want to talk about wounded. I mean, he was really wounded by his brothers. And what they did to him when they threw him in the pit, 
It took him on this 17-year journey where he ended up in Egypt and he ended up in prison again and being falsely accused of um, of sexual advances towards Potiphar's wife and on and on it goes. And so he, so it wasn't just like it was just being thrown in the pit. That decision that his brothers made to wound him led to years of suffering. And one day, because there's a famine in the land, in Canaan, um, they hear that Egypt has grain and they have grain, by the way, because God, through a series of events, and you read that if you read your scriptures um, this past week, but he promotes Joseph, and Joseph becomes second in command of Egypt um, because, and, and he's so wise, he's such a great entrepreneur, but he's able to interpret Pharaoh's dreams, which give them warning of the famine, and so they're able to prepare. And not only that, but Joseph is such a wise godly man with some major wisdom, right? That he's able to, he's got this entrepreneurial, you know, uh, gift about him. And he, you know, comes up with this plan. And so now um, Egypt has tons of grain and everybody else in the world is coming to Egypt to buy grain from them, okay? So that includes Joseph's brothers. And they come to Joseph to get the grain. And when they come to Joseph, Joseph sees the brothers and realizes that they are his brothers, but the brothers don't see him. And you're going to read, I'm going to put this scripture in here so you can read the whole story if you want to. But what I want you to see is that Joseph did not offer instant reconciliation to his brothers. In fact, the very first thing that he did with his brothers is he drew a boundary. Let me pause really quickly because I can't tell you how many women tell me that Christians say to them that boundaries are not biblical. I'm like, excuse me, what Bible are you reading? There's boundaries all over the place. In fact, one of the first things that God did was he drew a boundary, right? Where he told Adam and Eve, you know, don't go and you know into this into the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, right? So the very first thing God did was He drew a boundary. I could go on and on and on and on and on and on and on about that, but it's all over the Bible. Boundaries are biblical, so very biblical. All right, I digress. Joseph drew a boundary. And he drew a boundary. He actually put his brothers in prison for three days. That was the very first thing he did. He was very wise in handling his brothers. But the first thing that I want you to see in this is that he didn't rush into reconciliation. I want to read you this quote from um, William Worsbury. True repentance requires sincere repentance and humble confession of sin, and it often takes time for a person to get to that place. I believe that Joseph dealt with his brothers in a patient, loving, and wise way, and that is why his approach succeeded. God, not Joseph, God 
had to bring Joseph's brothers to the place where they admitted the evil things they had done to their brother and their father. Shallow repentance leads to an experience that isn't reconciliation at all. It's only a fragile truce. Is someone asking you to trust them? Trust me, just trust me, just trust me. And there's been a repeated um, cycle of offense. When you become aware of what is and what is not your responsibility, it allows you to press pause and to deal with those who have wounded you with God's wisdom. Rushing reconciliation when not ready prevents true restoration. And I do not believe for one second that it's God's intention. I'm going to go ahead and close us out today. Um, And in our podcast next week, I'm going to be talking about what is and what is not your responsibility. I'm going to be sharing with you um, how God gave me awareness in that and giving you that resource and really the importance of knowing your responsibility and and staying in that realm um, because when you do, it really does make room uh, for God to work. You know, trusting God's process does not guarantee reconciliation, but it does make room for the Lord to work, bringing restoration that is real. All right, so that wraps it up for today. Major cliffhanger, right? Next week, I'm going to be sharing with you my story of how God brought me aware. I'm going to be sharing with you a really great um, resource you can read about this and then how that allowed me to begin to have permission to pause, to set boundaries, and to set my heart free. 